Hey, it's Justin. Before we jump into this episode, I have one very important, very exciting thing to tell you about. Hayes Fire Studios is bringing Holy Ghost Stories to several cities this spring in something we're calling Holy Ghost Stories Live, the Exodus Tour. If you're a regular Holy Ghost Stories listener, you've heard about these live shows before. This is your chance to be there, to join me in person for a magical evening where we immerse ourselves in the epic story of the Exodus and meet Yahweh inside it. I will be joined by none other than Kendall Ramsour, the fabulous composer and cellist responsible for the entirety of the musical score you heard in the Exodus series here on the podcast. Kendall is a Boston Music Award winner, a finalist on America's Got Talent. He's performed at the the Grammys. Trust me, you will love hearing him play and experiencing the live accompaniment he will provide on cello as I tell you this unforgettable story. Not only that, we will be joined by gifted vocalist Eve Adeline, who will help give voice to our wonder and praise as we gaze upon Yahweh together. I'm telling you, this will be a very special time. All of the cities and dates are on the website, holyghoststories.org, and the tickets are live right now. If you'd like to join us, be sure to grab your seats ASAP. These shows consistently sell out. I've heard from many of you, for instance, who were not able to get tickets to the Christmas show before they were gone, and you were bummed about that. So don't procrastinate. If you're listening to this on or after February 9th, now is the time to reserve your spot. I don't want you to miss out. Holyghoststories.org. Oh, and we're doing a pre-show bonus. It's a meet and greet and Q&A with Kendall and myself before the show that you can add to your ticket at purchase. We want it to be intimate, so there's a limited number of these spots per show, but we'd love to be able to meet you guys and chat about the exodus or my research trip to Egypt or the process of collaborating or anything else you fancy. Also, seating is general admission, but anyone who grabs the pre-show bonus gets a guaranteed front of house seat. So come hang out and get a great spot for the show. We cannot wait to see you in April. I promise you this will be an unforgettable night of story and song. I hope you'll be able to join us. HolyGhostStories.org Today's podcast is a departure from the usual Holy Ghost Stories playbook. For one, this is the first time you've ever heard my voice. Hi, I'm Justin's wife, JL. I'm the manuscript editor for Holy Ghost Stories and Justin's partner at Hayesfire Studios, Holy Ghost Stories nonprofit home. And Justin's allowed me to step in and write the story you're about to hear. So that's one difference. For another, we're going to break a cardinal Holy Ghost Stories rule today. We're not just telling the story. We're also going to do a little practical application slash invitation. Don't worry, we will not make this a habit. And just so you don't feel bamboozled, I'll tell you at the start, this story ends with an invitation for you to consider financial partnership with Holy Ghost Stories. Why? Because this story in particular is about the power and blessing available when we all join together to do the everyday work of faithful sacrifice for the glory of Yahweh. There are things we can do together that we can't do alone, and they're the most important things. Today, we're asking you to join with Holy Ghost Stories to proclaim the story of Yahweh's love for his people. More on that in a bit. A quick word of prayer before we start. Yahweh, speak to us through this story. Open our eyes, hearts, and hands. Amen. Independence. Self-reliance. 
meeting our own needs. It seems like a virtue, a gift to the people around us, freedom for us, freedom for them. But what if independence is actually a vice, a curse to the people who need us, and a barrier to accomplishing the big things we can't do alone? This is a story about teamwork, about bodies, eyes and ears and legs and knuckles and tendons and cones and rods, about the way each member depends on the others and belongs to the others. This is a story about dependence and synergy, about what it takes to live out God's grand designs. I'm not Justin Gerhardt, but welcome anyway to Holy Ghost Stories. A man walks through a field of waist-high wheat, his eyes alert, his fingers wrapped tightly around the weathered handle of his knife. Suddenly, he sees something, kneels, looks again, and strikes. Pulling the knife toward his thumb, the farmer cuts down the green stem of the encroaching invader. He rises, searches, and strikes again and again. This man is a good farmer. He's meticulous, always thinking about the details, cleaning his scythe or hoe or hand plow after each day's work, making lists, storing the grain with care, cataloging seeds systematically. His neighbors marvel at the order of it all. He's strong, too, built like a soldier. He carries the heaping harvest as if his burden is light. And he's brave. He patrols the fields in inky darkness, even when his wife says to come inside. He likes it there in the dark, staring at the stars, knowing his presence matters, his body a kind of barricade. Everyone inside protected from everything outside. He's not a bad farmer. His family flourishes, bellies are full, but farming doesn't feel right. It's like wearing another man's shirt, or like living in another man's house, or like exile. He knows about exile and about the return from Persia to Israel from his father's stories, stories his father heard from his father, and sometimes he tells them to his own gathered children. A long time ago, Your great-great-great-great-grandfather served in the temple designed by the mighty King David and built by the wise King Solomon. The temple was the most beautiful thing any man had ever seen. Cedar lined the walls so that everything smelled like a wild forest. Golden cherubim, palm trees, and flowers danced on the walls and pillars, and they say that the temple reflected Yahweh like still water reflects a face. But it was more than that. They say he actually lived there. Could you see him with your eyes? A child asks with wonder. There was one day when they could, the farmer says, 
On dedication day, Yahweh descended in a cloud, and the cloud filled the temple. And then Yahweh promised to dwell there forever, and it was there at the temple with Yahweh that your great-great-great-great-grandfather served. He wore a pure white linen robe, so white you couldn't look right at it on a sunny day. It was white like, like sunlight. And he carried a sword, too, and the sword and the bright white clothes, it all made him look like an angel. An angel? The children repeat in awe. Yes, and he was like an angel in a way, because it was his job to protect the house of Yahweh. It was such an important job that Yahweh handpicked our family to do it. We are Levites, called by Yahweh to take care of his house. But we're farmers, says the smallest child, closest to his father. We wear dirty clothes and work in the fields. I've never even seen a temple. We are farmers for now, says the Levite. But we weren't always. He leans down closer to the children's eager faces. Maybe one day you'll be Levites again. We will not neglect the house of our God. The people of Israel have gathered in Jerusalem to make a vow. A confession first, and then a promise. Women wear hastily fashioned sackcloth dresses. Men cover their heads in dust. The Levite farmer and his family are among the group. He stands with the masses to bless the Lord, God from everlasting to everlasting. United in grief and hope, the people tell the story of Yahweh's faithful love. They say, You are righteous concerning all that has happened to us, because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. And then they promise to change. All together they say the words, We will not neglect the house of our God. These words are written down, and among the many asked to sign the documented vow are the Levites. The Levite farmer doesn't know exactly what all of this might mean, but he hopes. He's in the field with the wheat and the knife hunting weeds when the new governor, Nehemiah, arrives on his donkey, or perhaps his messenger, with an official proclamation. Are you a Levite? All Levites are being called into the city to serve at the dedication of the walls. The Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, all are needed. Is it happening? It's happening. By the grace of Yahweh and the leadership of this Nehemiah, it's finally happening. The Levite rushes into his house, calling for his wife. My love, we need to wash my robe. When he arrives in the city, he himself is washed by the priests, consecrated baptized into a new, old way of life. The dedication is a whole nation party. So loud, outsiders hear the cheering and singing from neighboring cities. What part does the Levite play in the festivities? Perhaps he assists with the sacrifice, 
washing the priest's bloody hands, calming the bulls bound for the altar. Maybe he's crowd control, encouraging the people to stay inside the bounds of holy fun. Maybe he marches in the praise procession. It's possible he plays an instrument, a lyre or harp or trumpet, maybe even one of the special instruments saved from the time of the king after God's own heart. What does it feel like to sing David's songs while playing David's lyre, worshiping David's God in the city of David? After the procession and the sacrifices and the singing, so much singing, Nehemiah and the people ask the Levite to stay, to do his duty and care for the new temple. The singers are also asked to stay, and the gatekeepers the people have pledged not to neglect the house of God, so they'll need this Levite's help to fulfill their vow. As a sort of down payment on their promise, the people bring a thanksgiving offering. The Levites collect and distribute it, just one of their holy tasks as caretakers of God's house, their home. That night, the Levite eats his portion of the bull and breaks his daily bread, all of it given to him by Israel, the body. What is it like to be doing the job your grandfather did? The job your great-great-grandfather did? The job for which God made you? The one you were knitted together in your mother's womb to do? For the singers, now writing songs in the shade when just last week they were planting wheat in a field, is it fun to finally be good at their work? There's a feeling they get, surely, when a chorus comes together or a harmony tightens into a lovely knot, that feeling of being exactly where they should be, doing exactly what they were created for. The Levite feels it, too, keeping spaces undefiled, providing access, defending against thieves. That sword in his hand, it feels right, like it's always been there. He feels it when he walks through the courtyard or when he bakes the showbread or polishes the temple gold or watches his countrymen, arms spread wide as their praise rises to Yahweh, praise he's helped enable. It all feels like home. The temple is suddenly full of smiling people, each one thinking, this is what I was made to do. And they're right. Like eyes and ears and legs and knuckles and tendons and cones and rods and a healthy body, everyone is finally where he should be, doing exactly what he should do. This kind of unity feels like God's presence, a miracle akin to a cloud. But then, Nehemiah goes back to Persia to work for King Artaxerxes, and in no time, everything begins to fall apart. A new, younger farmer is in the field with the wheat and the same knife, hunting weeds, when the former governor Nehemiah arrives on his donkey. The young man sees him coming, a cloud of dust, and remembers the first time the governor came, 
the joy in his father's voice as he called to his wife, the hope. He remembers watching his dad put on his newly laundered robe, white like an angel. He remembers the procession and the party, and then visiting the temple and helping with the daily tasks. He remembers his father teaching him how to handle a sword. Then, darker memories. Empty carts that should have been full. Walking through the streets with his father and everyone avoiding eye contact, backs turned, no hellos. He remembers his father's frustration. They made a promise to Yahweh. It's their house too. He remembers Thanksgiving for the bread when there was no meat. The times his father passed the small loaf to his children without taking a piece for himself. And then the priests sneaking and hiding and lying. He remembers the way the temple halls emptied, drained of life. Levite after Levite returning to fields to put food on their plates until it seemed like his father was the very last man willing to endure being forgotten. Better to be forgotten in the house of Yahweh than remembered anywhere else. The cloud of dust dissipates and Nehemiah's crumpled face comes into view. He dismounts slowly. The Nehemiah standing in this field is tired and sad and angry. It's hard to watch everything you built crumble. It's hard to belong to a community that doesn't share your passion or perseverance. It's hard to watch people you love making choices that hurt people you love. And it's hard, in the middle of all of it, to muster hope, to really believe that tomorrow could be better, that all of us could be more than we've proven ourselves to be. Has word spread about the scene Nehemiah made in Jerusalem with the officials shouting in fury, why has the house of God been neglected? Tears on his cheeks and rage in his eyes and hope in his heart, Nehemiah says to the young farmer who should not be a farmer, come back to your post. And despite everything he's seen, the young farmer does. Because this field, though it's a good place, is not his place. He is a Levite, and he belongs in the house of God, empowering the people of God to worship the God they love, the God who has not given up loving them. The people of Jerusalem will make another offering. The Levites will come back to the temple again, and the singers, and the gatekeepers, and all together, they will try again. When I first noticed this story inside the greater story of the book of Nehemiah, I was moved by the plight of these Levites. I know what it's like to try to do what God's asked you to do and to be completely reliant on the graces of God's people. It feels so risky because it is risky. Taking care of the temple was the kind of job that didn't have a direct payout. It wasn't like farming where money does, in fact, grow on trees. It wasn't like trading where people make an offer that you can deny or accept. And it wasn't 
anything like our modern-day jobs with guaranteed paychecks. In fact, there wasn't much correlation at all between how much work they did and how much money they got paid. Levites ate if the people gave. And if the people didn't give, the Levites didn't eat, no matter how much they worked. They were completely dependent on the faithful generosity of the people of God. And that resonates because Holy Ghost Stories is completely dependent on the faithful generosity of the people of God. As I was thinking about that Levite made by Yahweh to be a caretaker in his house, I couldn't help thinking of my husband, Justin, and the way he's blossomed in the making and growing of Holy Ghost Stories, work Yahweh surely made him to do. Three years ago, almost exactly, Justin quit his comfortable full-time job to tell Bible stories on the internet for no money. We sold our house and our cars. Our family made that move because we were convinced Yahweh was leading us into this work. A few months into season one, many of you decided to join us as patrons of Holy Ghost Stories, enabling us to dip a little less into savings to pay rent and buy groceries, and enabling Justin to spend his days telling God's stories to people around the world. These days, Holy Ghost Stories reaches tens of thousands of people every month. People listen in all 50 states and in more than 50 countries around the globe. And it's not just happy, clappy Christians listening together like a 1950s Norman Rockwell painting, uh, though that's lovely, and that happens. Uh, We get emails from listeners who've been abused by church leaders and haven't gone back to church since, from people who are skeptical about the Bible and won't pick it up, from women who aren't sure they can trust Christians, from teenage boys who feel misunderstood, and from grandparents who feel like they've never had a real relationship with God before. Holy Ghost Stories sneaks through cracks indoors, bringing light into dark places, drawing people into encounters with the God who loves them. In the past 13 months, Holy Ghost Stories has also had the opportunity to partner with 27 musicians to tell God's stories live at 15 events from Ireland to Arkansas. Each room moved to tears by the presence of the Spirit of God and the truth of Yahweh's love for His people. We want more of this, gathering people in rooms, welcoming his presence, asking him to speak, and positioning ourselves to hear. These gatherings feel like a fresh movement of Yahweh, and somehow also like something ancient and deep. We also released a book this year, a guide to help you encounter Yahweh in the Exodus story. College students and moms and preachers are using it, and they're telling us that they are meeting God in brand new ways. It has been a big 2023. 2024 could be even more exciting. For one, we've been approached by an Australian radio station about syndicating Holy Ghost stories. This would mean reaching one million Australian listeners with the Yahweh-rich stories of the Old Testament. We also think God is calling us to take Holy Ghost Stories live into American prisons. This is an exciting time in prison ministry with more and more open doors, and we want to be a part of what God's up to. We'd love to take Holy Ghost Stories on tour this spring, hosting shows in your hometowns, and then taking that same show into local prisons. And then, of course, we want to keep telling true, beautiful stories on the podcast. When Justin first started this effort, many of you chipped in to make it possible. And thanks to you, Holy Ghost Stories has grown into an international effort. Every day there are new opportunities to expand its reach or partner with new organizations to do beautiful kingdom work. But... 
Things have reached the point where Justin can't keep saying yes without a substantial increase in staff, which means, of course, a substantial increase in budget. So far, Holy Ghost Stories has been mostly a one-man show. To keep saying yes to Yahweh, it's going to take a team. In 2024, Holy Ghost Stories would like to add two full-time staff members. We'd like a composer, musician, and one business logistics communications guru. In addition to the more than 20 musicians and production staff we hire on a contract basis for live events. So to make that shift and to enable the work God's already beginning to do through Holy Ghost Stories, we are going to need an annual budget of $350,000. Now, as soon as we have it, we are going to make the hires and hit the ground running. We have a plan. We are ready. We are excited. But it's all going to feel so risky. It feels so risky right now as I am putting it out into the Internet and telling you about it and asking you for it. It's risky because we are depending entirely on you, on your devotion to Yahweh, on your commitment to the proclamation of his love and faithfulness, and on your sacrificial generosity. The safety of farming will sound its siren song, but there is truer work calling, and we can't do this without you. We're certain God has asked us to do it. So if God has asked us to do it and we can't do it without you, that means we should do this together. Come on, team. Let's make the sacrifice. Let's pay our Levites and let's enable the work Yahweh wants to do among those who know him and those who are about to be delighted by the God they meet. Hey, Justin here. If you would like to join the team and help make a team and enable us to bring Holy Ghost Stories into 2024 behind prison walls across the Atlantic and Indian oceans and into your home and car and headphones, here's how to do it. Head to holyghoststories.org slash give. You can set up a monthly contribution there or make a one-time gift. Everything matters and your contribution is tax deductible. holyghoststories.org slash give. All right, that's it. And from your Levites, thanks in advance. Till next time.